Hi, I'm Jeff. I've been listening to your podcast for a while. I'm calling because I have a podcast. It's called Cheer Up, a dark look at happiness through the lens of depression. It's made by depressed people for depressed people. And I connect to your podcast because it's so depressing. Sometimes when I listen to your podcast, I feel less depressed, but not usually. I'm calling because it looks like a lot of your fans are advertising their podcasts on your podcast. And I thought I could piggyback in the same way. It's just that I'm so tired and depressed. I don't want to advertise on my own. It's too depressing. So listen to my podcast, Cheer Up. But spoiler alert, it's kind of depressing. Hashtag stay strong, Dopey Nation. This episode of Dopey is brought to you by Aloe Recovery. Located in sunny Southern California, Malibu and Silver Lake, Aloe is a place you should go if you're fucked. More than any reason, our friends Bob Forrest and Evan Haynes and other Bob started Aloe to give addicts a place to go where they're treated properly and have some respect. We love that. They, they give you a proper, safe detox. They give you great care and supervision, and their amenities are off the charts. Surfing, horseback riding, sound bath, meditation. None of that compares to the importance of being treated with respect. If you're in California and you're fucked and you need a place to go, go to Aloe. When I went to treatment, I wish I had gone to a place like Aloe. But what are you going to do? You can have a better experience than I ever did. So uh, go to Aloe Recovery. This episode is also brought to you by our friends at JustCoffee.coop. I have to tell you, this morning I finally did my Just Coffee co-op fantasy and i fucking ground up some revolution roast the super extra dark i put it in my french press i brewed some just coffee coffee and i'm like flying the just coffee coffee is coffee worth buying how that rhymes that could be a little tune i'm flying and the just coffee coffee is totally worth buying i like that they should pay me to write a jingle Anyway, if you're a fan of the show and you like good coffee, you should get it. Beautiful packaging, really good coffee. They operate with social justice in mind to treat the growers in South America with, uh, like aloe, with care and respect and, and social justice fair treatment. So um, if you want to go on justcoffee.coop, enter DopeyPod in the code and get some sort of discount, support the show, get a nice cup of coffee, and uh, justcoffee.coop, here's the show. I don't mean to go on and on about that coffee. I mean, they're getting their money's worth, but I did it this morning. I mean, I did the coffee. It's like drugs. I, I made the coffee this morning, and I'm just coming off of it now, which is fucking funny. And it's Friday morning, uh, which means the show comes out tonight, which is something I never, ever, ever do. But I had to take the day off. Oh, 
Hello and welcome to Dopey, the podcast about drugs, addiction, and dumb shit and Game of Thrones. And I'm Dave. And um, it's Friday morning, like I said. Show comes out tonight. I took the day off because my daughter is in a dance recital today. And uh, I was told I can't miss it. And these things go on for like two hours, these dance recitals. But I can't miss it. She would be very disappointed. And um, we have a very, very, very exciting show today. We have uh, Alexis Haynes, formerly Alexis Neres, of The Bling Ring and of Pretty Wild. She's coming on. But before we get to her, I wanted to tell you a little story. And before I even tell you the story, I wanted to share some sad news, which is that um, a friend of mine named Ellis uh, overdosed last week and died. And um, the show is going to be fun and everything it's supposed to be. But uh, I just want it clear that drug addicts who use, you know, heroin addicts who use heroin with this fentanyl, it's very easy to die. So uh, rest in peace, our friend Ellis. At the end of the show, my buddy John is going to come on and we're going to play this amazing song that Ellis made. Ellis was super talented. Now, uh, it's springtime in New York, bordering on summer. And most importantly, tomorrow is my fucking birthday. So happy birthday to me tomorrow. I'm going to be 45 years old and uh, I love my birthday. So any birthday wishes are very, very appreciated. But my favorite thing to do now that we have this house and this yard is, uh, is gardening. Like I've gotten super into gardening. And um, the other day I had a day off and Linda was like, what do you want to do? And I was like, I want to garden. She was like, all right, well, you have a couple hours you can garden. And, um, and every time I tried to start gardening, shit got in my way. Like the first thing, Nora wanted to help and fucking... I didn't have shovels, so me and me and Nora went to the store and we bought some shovels. And then we come back and I had to take her to her friend's house and the day is just going by. And, um, and Linda calls me over and she goes, look, look at the guy across the street. He's already built his whole garden. And like, I didn't even have a second to garden. So I, she was like, he did a pretty nice job. And I was like, fuck you. And then I look across the street and I see this dude and he's like, he doesn't have a shirt on and he has a nice looking garden all fenced in. And I'm kind of annoyed that I haven't even gotten to my garden. And I go over there and I never introduced myself. And I was like, hey, man, my name is Dave. And he was a nice guy. He was he was happy to meet me. And like he's lived there for basically the same amount of time that we've lived here. He moved in at the end of the summer last summer and we moved in in May last year. And uh, and his garden looked pretty fucking good. He had like. Linda had told me he had this machine that tilled the soil. And I was like, so I hear you have this machine. And he's like, yeah, really helped me out, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, uh, cool. And I looked at his garden and it was like nicely organized and it was like well put together. And, uh, you know, we had a nice little exchange and I didn't want to ask him for the machine. But uh, I was like, well, if you ever need anything, you know, you could just ask me. I'm across the street. And he's like, do you want to borrow the machine? And I was like, yes. And uh, he's like, it's kind of hard to use. And like, dude, I don't know anything about machines for the garden. But I was like, I'll figure it out. He's like, you have to hit this button and then you pull the trigger and you hold it down. And I was like, no problem. And I was a little bit nervous, but I took it and I took the machine across the street and uh, it had a long extension cord on it, so I plugged it into the garage, and I went out to the garden um, to set up the machine. And I, I set it up, and I start, and it's a rototiller, and I start rototilling the garden. 
And um, whenever, I mean, the garden, it makes me think of last summer. It makes me think of, you know, I was gardening when Todd died. I was basically gardening when Chris died. The garden, like, has this, you know, this weird effect where it's like, it, it, it conjures up this sadness of those guys dying, but it also like conjures up hope of having a house and a garden and all this shit. But, um, so I start rototilling and the rototiller is very powerful. It gets away from me. And I'm, I'm like, I'm like, fuck this rototiller. I'm just going to shovel the garden out. And I, but I'm like, nah, I'm going to keep rototilling. Like I say the, the two things at the same time. And the next thing I know, I notice out of the corner of my eye, there's one of these tomato trap things that the tomato plants climb on a cage and i was like "Uh uh-oh and then before i even stopped rototilling i rototill over the tomato cage and the tomato cage is like 20 years old made of a rusty soft metal probably aluminum but i'm not sure what it is maybe not i don't know what fucking metal it was probably aluminum and um and the rototiller runs over the cage and, and the blade just wraps itself up in the aluminum. And I'm like, fuck, I probably had been rototilling for like five seconds or maybe like a minute. And, and all of a sudden I've wrecked my neighbor who I just met's rototiller. And he told me that it cost $150. So my first thought is, well, I have $150. I could pay him for it. And I thought, what an amazing gift of recovery that I have money in my pocket that I can pay for this fucking rototiller that I just destroyed. But then I said, wait, I'm going to try to fix it. So I sit down on the ground and I start uncoiling the rusted metal uh, off the rototiller blade. And I'm just uncoiling and coiling and I'm nervous because I'm scared Linda's going to come out and I'm scared Linda is going to like know what an idiot I am that I fucking wrecked the guy's machine and, you know, but I'm undoing it and I'm undoing it and I get it undone. I fixed it. And then I start to till the soil with the rototiller and it actually turns out really nicely and the garden is tilled and I've, I've planted, now I've planted uh, some zucchini, some squash, some peppers, some tomatoes, and, um, you know, it made me feel really good. So, yeah, I don't know why I'm telling you this story, but it's just like uh, I love the garden, even though it does, like, it's bittersweet because it will all, I think it will always remind me of Todd and Chris. And th- that's the crazy thing about dying. You know, once you die, you're always dead. Uh, but every spring there is renewal, and, um, and I think that's important too. So let's get on with the show. Here's Alexis Haynes, uh, married to Evan Haynes of Aloe, and uh, formerly of Pretty Wild and a, a, uh, a felon of the bling ring. So here's Alexis. Hello and welcome to Dopey, the podcast about drugs, addiction, and dumb shit. And I'm Dave. And for the second time, we are joined by the great Alexis Haynes. Uh, how are you? I'm really good. How are you? Good. Alexis is... Uh, Big-time podcaster, recovery advocate, reality TV show star, doula, uh, convicted felon. Uh, what else would you put on the list? I love that those things go hand in hand. Like right now, after together, like doula, convicted felon, uh, let's see, ex-reality TV star. Mother of two. Uh, mother of two. Instagram uh, freak. <laughs> 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 what would you put on KSAC? Uh, what is the what does KSAC stand for? Certified addiction, K-Sac? something, something. Yes, drug and alcohol counselor. 
I'm really, I'm a jack of all trades. Yeah. I do a little bit of everything. What, what do you find you're doing most of these days? Um, well, I have two daughters who are six and almost three. So they take up a lot of my time. And then when I'm not doing that, I'm trying to figure out, you know, how to balance my personal growth, my marriage, and, you know, put my ass on on the line every day to help people. That's really what I've dedicated the last eight years of my sobriety to. And now that looks like, you know, I run groups at Aloe, my husband's treatment center. I um, have my new podcast, Recovering from Reality. I'm writing a book right now, a memoir. And, um, you know, so my plate is pretty much overflowing right now. You're a very, very busy, busy bee. Um, I am. Fucking, what was I going to say? Um, with, um, you know, you, you, it's all this stuff. It's very, like, very, like, holistic, new age, healing, centered, all these kinds of things. And um, could you imagine... Uh, ever being these things, because you came from a very wild, wild uh, youth, you know what I mean? You were like a crazy party girl, and now you're like this earth mother, giving back, centered, <laughs> helping people. Like, can you imagine yourself then hearing this now? Yeah, you know, I was I was always, what. Um, I always had this in me and I think that all of us have, have that, um, pure loving energy inside of us. And I grew up with a mom who was like a total hippie. I grew up running around at ashram spiritual centers and, um, I've been practicing Buddhism for much of my life. Um, and so when I got sober, the spiritual aspect of things kind of went, um, came to me like second nature, like it made sense to me. And I've had periods in my sobriety where I've questioned, like, if there's a God, then like, why the fuck is this happening to me right now? But, um, you know, uh, when we're on this spiritual path, sometimes it takes like wild and crazy turns and it's not ever linear and it always is often messy for me and evolving and ever changing. And, Um, you know, and that's been my life. I mean, it's been like pretty much constant chaos and what it's like now is just becoming more and more okay with the chaos and learning how to ride the waves rather than constantly like swimming into the tide. And so it's not as difficult, if that makes sense. No, it does make sense. It also makes sense to imagine you as some kid in an ashram or being around these hippy dippy (laughs) folk and you being like this crazy girl who was getting high and like experimenting and running out. And then when you got sober, all of that shit just popped up in your head. Like you knew like the yeah. kind of blueprint for, for God or for, for spirituality or whatever. But, um, I before mean, I'm but, a Gemini. So like, I definitely have, like, I still really, I still have that. Like, if you look on my Instagram, it, it is, it's a lot of like new age thought and holistic healing and mental health and blah, blah, blah. But it's also like, here, I look hot right now, I think. So I'm going to post a selfie. Like there's definitely like 
two parts of me, and I think that they really balance each other out wonderfully. So you'd say you'd say there's the hot there's the hot part and the holistic part. (laughs) Well, they're like they're they're one and the same. It's just you know I think that I think that often um, I think anytime like the pendulum swings, you know, like from like party girl to like um, meditator, Buddhist, yoga girl. Like sometimes, you know, like I still, I'm, I'm still very into like what I look like and that's okay. You know, like I've had plastic surgery. I have my lips done. I have all these things. Like, I think you can have both. What do they do to, I mean, Um, I want to, I want to circle back, but before we circle anywhere, what do you have to do to have your lips done? Well, I got my lips injected with, with like what? filler. With collagen? With, like, uh, with whatever it is, Juvederm. I don't know. Does I'm it just hurt? Saying, like, you don't. It hurts like fucking hell. Well, you're saying um, your lips weren't big enough for you before, and you needed this. I'm just saying that I personally thought my lips would look better if I had them a little bit fuller, and I'm very happy with my decision. When did you do and it? I. Have been doing it on and off for the last several years. I stopped about a year ago just because my lips are like now permanently perfectly big, right. in my opinion. <laughs> yes. Um, but you know, like I have no problem with people just doing whatever they want with their body. I mean, it's your body, you get to do what you want with it. After I had kids, I had the mommy makeover, I had a tummy tuck that was fucking brutal, and I had my tits put back up to where they belong. I mean, like it's uh, you know. It's a rebuilding. It's a rebuilding process. Yeah. I think it's yeah. interesting. Like, have, did you ever think about like the old days of injecting heroin to the new days of injecting stuff into your lips? Did that ever play out in your mind or no? <laughs> no, that's pr- that's a pretty great line. I really love that. I used to shoot up heroin, and now I shoot up Botox. Yeah, put like, it in, put it in your great. book. You don't ha- I am. I'm gonna. I'm literally gonna save that for my book. <laughs> I do not need a mention at all. Um, <laughs> But before we, we, we even go down this new school good path, what, I, was, uh-huh. I, was, I was revisiting your dopey appearance, and I enjoyed it. And, and your dopey appearance, it's, you know, all these people are complaining about the sound quality of my phone calls. And I don't know if you ever listened to yourself on dopey, but it sounded pretty fucking good. And it was just the phone up to the mic. And these motherfuckers love to complain about it. So did you ever listen to it? I mean, I hate listening to myself back personally, um, but I've listened to like a lot of your episodes and I would have never known. And when I had you on mine and I was trying to figure out, cause we, when we record mine, it's in my house with like, I've got like a whole sound crew that comes in for most of my episodes. And so your episode was kind of the first time I was figuring out that app and you know what? And I thought it kind of sounded the same, like at the end of the day. Right on. So, but that app was terrible. When I was on your episode, the app was, uh. Was what it was McC- acting up. It was also yeah. like it was uh, echoing, which I can't stand. Yeah, um, so you just you never know what you're gonna get, and people like to fucking complain. It's like then you know what? Then pay me, pay me. All y'all pay me, and I'll provide you with content. I don't get paid for my podcast. I'm not getting paid right now. I don't have sponsors. It's like all of this shit's coming out of my own pocket. You know, as a podcaster, you're not rolling in the dough. I- I'm <laughs> fucking rolling I mean? in the dough. Are you kidding Are me? You? 
No, no. I have I have no. two I have two sponsors and your f- husband is one of them. You know, your husband and Bob are one of them. The great uh, justcoffee.coop is the other. And I just started a Patreon thing, which is fascinating. And you want to hear something really funny? And I think it's just like ironically funny as hell. Because if you saw my sound setup, you know, you would laugh because it's like this shitty little board and this <laughs> microphone and my laptop. Um, and Dr. Drew just hired me to record his episode for him. Uh. That's amazing. I was like, he must not have heard Dopey to hire me to do the sound, which just cracks me up. That's amazing. It just cracks me up. That's amazing. Now, um, what I really want to do before we do anything, I think I was trying to be respectful when you were on the first time. And and, and maybe if you don't want to talk about this, that's fine. But, you know, your claim to fame is being a part of this bling ring, which was a group of you and your friends during your addiction, robbing celebrities. Hello. Yeah, um, no, I'm here. Is that is that my segue? No, so, I'm just making uh, sure you're still here and not and not like I can't believe no. you're asking me about that. Oh no 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 no! I'm like a total open book. Like I am such an open book, and I and I um, appreciate you trying to respect me. Um, the first but, time. The first time, um, and you're still being respectful today because that that is a part of my story. So, um, you know, I, I I Evan, my husband, always jokes like, I really wish you would just like you were like the actual ringleader of the bling ring because it would have been so much more badass like today to tell this story. And everyone always wants to get like a really juicy story out of me. Um, there was just an amazing, um, do you ever listen to not another true crime crime podcast? So good. You like true crime podcast, but they covered the bling ring. It was probably the most accurate out of anything I've ever heard about the bling ring. But, um, you know, I grew up in, in, um, the, you know, uh, Conejo Valley, Westlake village, Calabasas, kind of everyone associates it with, with the Kardashians. Yeah. And um, I met this kid, Nick, and Nick and Rachel had already been robbing houses. So I wish I could claim that I was like some mastermind and the leader of the bling ring, but I wasn't. I was just drunk and high party girl that ended up at Orlando Bloom's house one night. Um, And I was in a blackout and shit was really messy. And um, why did you end up there, though? So Nick and Rachel, they they would basically like stalk celebrities um, online via like TMZ and things like that. And then um, they would like text each other like at all hours of the night, like, hey, the house is clear. So like I was out at a bar with Nick and then he was just like, got to go. And I was like already on a couple Xanax bars and I'd been drinking. Um, and at this point I was I think I I was 18 and or 17 about to turn 18 i was maybe 18 i don't know anyway so we show up to this house i'm in a blackout um yeah i like watched this whole robbery i received some stolen property we ran away so you were just kind of high hanging out and you went for a walk with them well no i didn't go for a walk i mean it was like we pulled up to the house like stay here for a second and i was like okay and then like in my drunken stupor like however many minutes later i start like walking up to the house and like they're ransacking the house and i was kind of like what the fuck is going on 
and as I'm coming to, and then like, you know, a bag was thrown at me. I took the bag, we ran away. Um, and that's kind of what happened. And then what, what, how I became the face of the bling rain. Well, I should fast forward. So then surveillance videos of other celebrities houses that they had been robbing started to come out. And I was like, holy shit, like this is a full blown operation. And so I called the cops. <laughs> Called the cops. So you were only in on the one, on the Orlando Bloom heist. Yeah. Okay. Orlando Bloom. That was it. Um, I became the face of the Bloom Ring, though, because I I got a reality TV show. I had signed the contract, I believe, like two weeks prior to when the robbery took place. And so I signed this big contract with E. And then the summer goes by. We start filming. I had called the cops on Nick. He got arrested. And like day two of filming my show, the cops came to my house. And when they raided my house, we had been partying the night before with Mickey Avalon. I had been shooting up dope with her with with or without him. I'm not trying to get sued. Um, and then yeah. I had taken some Xanax, fallen asleep at like, I don't even know, 4 a.m. And the cops showed up at my house at like 7 a.m. So I'm like high on heroin and Xanax. I think the cops are just there to like talk to me about like what I know from that night. But like, it's never occurred to me that like the SWAT team wouldn't show up at your house if they were just coming to talk to you. Right. And so I'm sitting there like blabbing away about all of this stuff without an attorney. And yeah. And then, and then there was a number of things that happened. Like the lead detective, um, I guess was kind of obsessed with me and like would refer to me as like hot, um, and sexy, I believe, in like um, some of the interrogations with my co-defendants. Do you think? Do you think he still? Do you think he still follows you on Instagram? I have no idea. <laughs> I would be creeped the fuck out if he was. I think he ended up getting fired. I don't know. The whole thing. Was <laughs> I'm just sorry. Kind that's fun. That's show. I what I will say though is like the very, very, very best thing that ever happened to me was taking that plea deal and going to jail. Like, I don't I don't think I would be sober here had I not spent a summer in solitary confinement at Linwood. Like, I really don't think so. Um, it was kind of the ass kicking that I needed. Um, well, it was like putting it was putting sober. it was putting a, a, a drug addict's life on crazy fast forward uh, to, to give you a reality show. I mean, it's almost as though the producers knew that you had done the robbery because they didn't have a better show than to have a trial and this whole thing right at their fingertips. You know what I mean? Like, it seems like almost like a setup. But on the on the good side of it is you got to experience crippling highs and lows in rapid succession. Yeah. And so, you know, I became an opiate addict when I was 15 and I got sober when I was 19. That was eight years ago. So, um, it was, that's amazing. That means that you've, you've been sober twice as long as you got high. Well, I was getting high since I was like 12, but, um, you know, you're almost, you're almost past at the same time. Yeah. So, you know, it's like, but like really high, like loaded every day, like just dope fanning. Yes. I've been, I've been sober much longer than I ever got loaded. And so, like I said, going to jail um, was kind of the catalyst that I, that I, well, I would say it's like the beginning of the end. I got out, 
I could clearly see that heroin was a problem for me. Um, but I had such like a sick and a mesh relationship with my sister Tess that I only could stay sober for, you know, a couple weeks after I got out. And then, I mean, I wouldn't say sober cause I was drunk the night I got out. You better believe it. I was like so high and so drunk, but I was abstaining from like pills and heroin because I could clearly see that those were problems for me. And also you didn't want to have a habit. You didn't want to go into withdrawal. You knew like those kinds of things. No, I wasn't that smart. No, wasn't that smart. Not even thinking like that. I just simply knew that like when I used dope, like my life got substantially worse fast. How did you get to heroin in the first place? Um, I had had a couple surgeries when I was younger where I was introduced to pain pills. And then um, I had a boyfriend who had to connect to Oxy. And the first time I tried Oxy, um, I almost overdosed. (laughs) And he could tell that, like, I really loved it. And he's like, you should never do this shit again. And from that day forward, I used Oxy. I mean, every single day, all day long until I couldn't afford it anymore. In which case I switched to heroin. And then, um, you know, that last, I want to say like year was just constantly like just shooting up all day long and, and misery and, you know, yeah, all the shit, all all that good junkie stuff, you know, like, panhandling i'd blown through like my hundred thousand dollars from the show was gone um i like i had nothing like i was living in a best western and then i got like a tiny ass apartment in burbank i couldn't afford my like heating and air my cable like my life was just like shit and somehow i thought like i was still okay like i was still partying i was still dating um uh a uh, a, a TV guy that worked for like, I don't know, extra or one of those things. Like I was still like somehow like maintaining a little, but like everything around me was crumbling. And then, um, well, yeah. So the I myth, over for, like, the myth in your brain was very much alive because you had a boyfriend, you had a place to go home to and you could still get high, I guess. Yeah. But I was like carpet sifting all night. Like once I got home, you know what I mean? Like, like trying to figure out like what time does my drug dealer open in the morning? Like it wasn't, you know, it, it, again, when I talk about like, Oh, I'm a Gemini and I live dual lives. I mean, like really I was living like a total lie, just like a total and complete lie. Then when I got out, I, I relapsed within like two weeks with my sister Tess. Like I said, we had a very toxic, relationship with each other and then before i knew it um you know i couldn't show up to probation anymore and i couldn't um get a job and i couldn't do all of the things that were required of me to not go to prison because i had a suspension over my sentence um that basically means like if i fuck up in the next um, three years when I'm on probation, I have to do a mandatory six, three to six years in prison. And sure enough, of course, like I fucked up and they came and arrested me again. How did they find out? Was it a drug test? 
no, I just, I couldn't show up to probation. Like mm. I just couldn't even show up. And so they came and they found me at my mom's house. And, um, thankfully like the DA was really pushing for jail time. And I admitted like in front of the news crews and all of the, you know, I was 10 days into a detox where I'd been like shitting my pants and barfing at the same time in solitary confinement where I didn't have access to a shower with the one outfit they give you a week. Wow. It was just fucking horrible. I It's just the worst. That was the worst detox, worst thing I've ever been through. I didn't feel normal for like months, months. And I just remember just begging for mercy. And thankfully I got a, um, an opportunity. Judge Peter Espinoza, if you ever hear this or anybody who knows him, there's a judge at the criminal courts building. He gave me a second shot at life, and um, I took took it and ran. That's amazing because, like, we're talking about – I mean, like, it's amazing that you had such a bottom, that you could come from such a place that you came from because your childhood wasn't perfect, obviously. You came from, from a, a hard-living childhood into a crazy teen years into this, like – sort of celebrity place and like luxury place into party into like the biggest bottom of jail you could ever be in, you know, Mm -hmm. like, like in withdrawal, throwing up and and shitting. I mean, I remember days like that in the shower, I was certainly not in solitary confinement and this guy giving you that chance. It was like, it was a a transformative place to be, you know? And and it's, it's like, it's so fucked up the stories where that doesn't happen. Where that isn't oh, the bottom. I mean, isn't that amazing? Oh, my God. Well, I remember just last year I went on that show, The Doctors. Uh-huh. Um, it's like a daytime talk show, and there's this judge, Scary Mary. And the, the dialogue was, you know, about this girl. Should she or should she not go back to jail? She didn't even have a drug charge, but she violated probation because she tested dirty, even though she wasn't having a drug charge. And, you know, should she go to prison for a year? And my argument is like, no, like our jail and prison are, first of all, fuck our for-profit prison industry, period. Fuck our war on drugs. It's not a war on drugs like Dr. Gabor Mante says. It's a war on drug addicts. It's a war on people, specifically people of color. And it's a fucking never-ending sick revolving door of money like it is just the most ass backwards system and you know in my opinion the solution is to legalize all drugs to make the 65,000 people a year that are overdosing make that a public health crisis start opening treatment centers all over the U.S. and just get people help like right you know, it's it, so many people are. And then and then if you want to say, oh, that's too expensive. It's like, you know what? There's people dying and there's people dying because we're overworked. We have no connections to each other anymore. We live in societies that are sick and racist and poor. People don't have access to their basic needs. Thousands upon thousands of children go hungry in this country every year. Highest maternal mortality rate of any westernized country. You want to start working on all of these problems? You won't have a big-ass drug addict problem if you do. But the crazy thing to me, Alexis, is I get get what you're saying. And and I don't even like – the thing that boggles my mind is you getting into the system and having to go to that room 
was instrumental in your change, it wouldn't necessarily be instrumental in anybody else's change. But the thing that gets me is you can't predict it. You can't predict what is the thing that's going to make somebody change. And and you don't know what is the shot that's going to kill somebody. You don't. These are like deep, deep mysteries of addiction. Like what is the thing that makes it so you're done and the next guy isn't? It's crazy. I'll tell you what it was for me. Um, It was connection. Like, so my attorney came to me. I had a brand new attorney. I'd never met him before. And him and this young guy, they were both really big in AA. And they had started to build a relationship with me and they gave me hope. And then the owner of the treatment center started to build a relationship with me. And I started to realize that like, whoa, like people cared about me. And like, this is what sobriety should be like. It's about having these connections and having these relationships with people. And, and like, I was able to call the the drug treatment owner in jail, like every single day that I was there. I mean, like that is what, that's what did it. Like it gave me hope, you know, that, that life out there didn't have to be so bad. And I still thought it in the beginning, just because I was like an arrogant little twat who thought that she knew better than everybody else. But, you know, I had a couple like really, I would say humbling experiences in sobriety that kind of brought me to my knees. And thankfully, you know, thankfully I just, I just did the work. Like there was just no other option for me. It was like, I'm either going to go back to jail, which I really didn't want to do because jail is fucking scary. I'm not going to try to be some like badass. It is scary. Like, especially in, in solitary confinement because the people who are in solitary confinement are murderers, right? rapists, killers, and you know, mentally ill. So it's like, and then you, scary. you know, they're not there for prostitution. All right. Um, so, you know, I was like, I don't want to go to jail. I don't want to die. And so this is kind of like my, my only hope, you know, but still, I'm sure like, you know, you and Evan and Bob work with all of these, uh, addicts in recovery. And I'm sure mm-hmm. you've heard a story, you know, not really similar to yours, but somebody who's been, in solitary confinement, you know, can check off the drugs that you did and they got out and they mm-hmm. still didn't want to get clean. Yeah, I think that, you know, everybody, um, everybody's path, no one's going to have the same same path and the same journey. And, right. and we don't know what what that the answer is. I just, I know that I had a lot of trauma. The answer to that trauma was like, like I said, connecting with people and not feeling like I'm alone. And, and of course, like relapse is going to be a part of some people's story. Um, and that's, that's just kind of the way that it is. It's, it sucks. It's shitty. Um, it it only, I I mean, for me, for me, it only sucks and is shitty when they don't get to come back to the to the other side of it. Yeah. You know, yeah. you can relapse a billion times. I don't give a fuck as long as you don't have to die from it. You know. Well, that's Bob's whole thing, right? Just don't die. You know that There's I always no used to think that I really, <laughs> I never cared so much about don't die the the theory until all my friends started dying. You know. Yeah. It's like I didn't I didn't really have an like I thought it was overblown. Until like uh, my buddy, my friend Todd died, and then Chris died, and then last week this other friend of mine just died, and um, mm. 
it's just like it's scary because an opiate addict can't really relapse in peace anymore. I know as stupid as that sounds. It's like a relapsing. The game has definitely changed, right? I mean, I'm sorry to hear about your friend. And it is true. Like the opiates that are coming into this country today are different than when I was using eight years ago. Hands down. Yeah. Not even compare it. Like, like Bob says, like our drug dealers didn't want us to die because they'd be losing customers. Now it's like the epidemic is so big. They don't care if they're losing customers. They don't give a shit if they're losing customers. Were you friends with drug um, dealers back in the day? Like, were your drug dealers your friends? So my first drug dealer was my boyfriend, Kevin. Did you ever watch my Vice um, piece? Like, right after I had my sec- my first daughter, she was just a couple months old, I went and I found my, my ex-boyfriend, Kevin, who was my dealer, and we had been together in this very sick relationship for many, many years, and I helped him get sober, and he's still doing well today, which That's is cool. fucking amazing. Um, but yeah, I mean, friends. Uh, no, I mean it's I mean, like it's like when Bob when Bob talks about dealers not wanting their customers to die or whatever. Like I remember, I had a few dealers who like. I wasn't friends with them, but I hung out with them every day, you know, and they definitely didn't want me to die. But it's just like it's like uh, it's like when you hear about police officers working the beat and they're like, I know my neighborhood. It's like back in the day, you really knew your 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 heroin dealer really well. I I mean, I don't know if if it's still like that. I'm sure a lot of I'm sure there's a lot of similar relationships and I'm sure a lot of drug dealers don't want to see their uh, their customers dead. It's just do you think they know? I just think that the the whoever's at top, who's ever cutting, who's ever distributing at the top is just gives zero fucks about the, you know, thousands upon thousands who are going to die every year from their drugs. I just don't think they give a fuck anymore. Right. At the top. I don't think. And- I, yeah, at the, at the top. And the higher the higher ups, you know what I mean? Like, everybody cuts their shit a little bit and a little bit and a little bit. And the shit I was getting was nowhere near what, uh, you know. I, although, Tess did overdose in my arms once. So, that's, that is true. I guess, I guess, you know... It's a combination of like drug dealers not giving a shit and drug addicts not knowing what the fuck they're doing. What was the what was the scenario where she OD'd in your arms? Um, this was kind of in our earlier days of shooting up, and um, I had just done a shot, and I was pretty loaded. I was very loaded. I was knotted out, and um, I kind of came to, and I walked into the bathroom. Um, to take a piss, took a piss, came back in and, and I laid down on the bed and Tess, um, was just shooting up. And before the needle even came out of her arm, she fell backwards, hit her head on the wall. And, um, I was like, something's wrong, but I was like, not like cognizant enough you know what I mean like when you're still like really kind of like everything's slow and you can't really like fully function yet and um a couple like a minute probably went by and I started like nudging her like get up like get up and then the drug dealer who was also knotted out pulled the needle out of her arm and um I like 
pulled her face towards mine and her lips were purple. And, um, I started freaking out, like all the adrenaline kind of hit me and my jugular was like, you can't fucking call the cops here. Like you got to get out. And I had like superhuman strength somehow that I picked her up. I mean, she couldn't have been more than like 90 pounds at this point. Um, and how much do you think you weighed at that point? I was maybe like 115. I don't know. But I picked her up, threw her over my shoulder, and I remember running to my car. I threw her in the car, and I just started driving as fast as I could towards Tarzana Hospital. We didn't even make it to Winnetka, which was the street that this house was off of in the valley. When she started, like, vomiting out of her mouth, like, she was, like, asphyxiating and on her barf. And I was like, fuck! And so I pulled over. I started giving, like, you know half-assed junkie CPR. I have no idea what the fuck I'm doing. And, um, thankfully a cop drove by and like saw me and they came, they narcanned her. And, uh, we both said after that day, we'll never ever, ever shoot up dope again. And then like, of course, like we smoked heroin for a couple days and then we were right back at it. Right. That's pretty classic. (sighs) Is she clean now? She is. Yeah. That's amazing. And yeah, you're still friends? It is. Yeah, no. Like, we love each other. I'm actually going to visit her um, in July. I'm, like, super stoked to see her. She came out here in January. She's a mom. She lives in, like, a very rural area in the middle of nowhere in Wisconsin. And I think her boyfriend's a farmer. Like, I'm talking, like, she went polar opposite. Right. And sometimes that's what you have to do. Sometimes that's what you got to do. Yeah. I mean, like, I, I mean, today I, I'm, I like live in the suburbs. I, I like plant flowers and plant a garden and <laughs> like I just live a, a much different life than I ever expected. And it's a million times better. And I look at your life and your life looks just amazing and just so the opposite of these like these stories, you know? Um, yeah, but don't get it twisted. Like my life on the outside looks amazing. But I still struggle. Like, I'm just coming out of, I'm in the middle of doing TMS. Have you ever heard that of that? Transcranial magnetic stimulation? No, I've never heard of it. It's for people who have severe depression that don't respond to drugs or who have very adverse reactions to drugs um, uh, for depression. And, like, I'm coming out of, like, one of the darkest places that I've ever been in. And, like, we still and I, we still get by. Like, I'm still getting by. This isn't to say that, like, I'm not saying it's not hard that, like, every day for the last four months hasn't been a fight because it absolutely has. But um, I'm kind of starting to see the light at the end of the title. So, you know, my my life on Instagram, like if you look at my feed, the pictures are really pretty. But if you actually read the content or watch my stories, then like you you're actually getting a real look into my life. I mean, sometimes I don't post such like intense stuff, but you know, because I don't want everybody to come to my page and get depressed. Um, I think there's but, a healthy mix on there that I've noticed yeah, of, of but, like struggle and overcoming struggle. And, you know, and yeah. like when I say everything is, is, is look so good, I mean, you guys look good. Your family looks good. I mean, no matter how good something is on the outside, there's always there always are potential. You know, nobody's perfect. You know, no life is perfect. Mm-hmm. But um, you started your podcast I guess in the midst of this serious depression, was it related? Um, 
so the podcast was something that, you know, when I got sober and I was like kind of like a pseudo celebrity, um, I, I knew that like, if I just got sober and then like went back to reality TV or went back into the spotlight, like nobody would take me seriously. Like I'd be like Lindsay Lohan where everyone's like always talking about how she's like on the verge of a mental breakdown based on her Instagram stories. Like I just knew that it would be a shit show. And so I spent the last eight years kind of just really focusing on like healing like inside out you know and um so the podcast and the book or things that i've been thinking about for a long time um our business burned down in the malibu fires five of our houses in um, malibu and there was just like a lot of crazy shit going on and um you know, I just was like, there's always going to be something going on. So, you know, it's like, it's kind of like a now or never thing. Like if I can make it through this and I could probably make it through anything. And so we just kind of went for it. I wasn't expecting for it to, you know, we're still quite amateur, but yet we already have, we're almost at a hundred thousand downloads. Um, we only have about 12 episodes out. I didn't really expect it to kind of like take off in the way that it did. Um, but I guess when you're providing people with information that they're curious about or who, people who have the same kind of philosophies and ideas that you do or not, you know, just something interesting to listen to that people just vibe with it and like it. I don't know. And it's called recovering from reality. And, it's um, recovering from reality. and, um, but I think you've dealt with things like depression on the show. You've dealt with things like, mm-hmm. like, um, like trauma. Oh man, we've covered. Well, recovering from reality is a platform for everybody. I mean, everybody deals. Recovering from reality literally means recovering from life, right? Like it's obviously a pun because I was a reality TV star, but it means, you know, like recovering from divorce, recovering from sexual abuse, recovering from incest, recovering from uh, drugs and alcohol, recovering from physical violence, recovering from whatever it might be. We're all recovering from from something, you know, being a child of an alcoholic, like whatever it might be, we're all dealing with shit. And so we talk about it all. I mean, last week's thing was like about abortion, like recovering from having an abortion and like what that's like. And, and like in this current political climate with all the shit that's going on, like what it's like to be a woman who's had an abortion. I had an abortion when I was 16 and I was a heroin addict and I don't regret it. I feel sad about it, but I don't regret it. And so we talk, we cover like these really challenging topics, but it's like, I mean, the dialogue is important. It's important to be having this dialogue. I think that, um, we're, where my message, my message is about connection and inclusion. And, um, you know, my Instagram and my podcast and my book are going to be about just that, about how we can connect with each other in order to heal individually and then eventually collectively. And that's what, you know, makes a bigger, a big impact on this world. Nice. I think I have to work on what my message is. I don't think I have a real message. I think, hey, no, but your message is to like have fun after chaos. Right, like, that's my to, message. Like, yes. Yeah. The message is to a yeah. One. Yeah, it is. It is. It's a decent message. And I was I was super psyched to go on yours. <laughs> and like you guys, you guys contributing to Dopey in any sort of way has been just phenomenal. Um, and also, but I think like 
I think that a lot of it has to do, and this is weird, I think, or maybe it isn't weird. I think you have like a lot of fans. Like, I think there are people that are just into you. You know what I mean? Like, I, I think that's a cool thing. You know, I think that's it some- is a cool thing. I'm like, I don't get what you guys are into, but like, okay. I mean, maybe it's just that like, I'm really authentic about like, uh, like who I am. Maybe people, I think people are maybe just attracted to like, you know, the shit that I say, you know, like, oh my God, the other night I just posted this stupid Instagram video of me eating dinner and I said, working on my winter bod. And I can't tell you like how many people like wrote me and were like, this is great. You know, fuck summer bods, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, okay. Like I would literally, it's just me sharing something that like I thought. Well, it's like the idea is like, you're this very attractive woman who, and you show yourself like, like, you know, hot pictures of yourself. You're not afraid to show yourself. And and then you also show yourself getting surgery and then you show yourself eating and then you show yourself with your kids. I'm very self-deprecating. That's what it is. I'm self-deprecating and I, and I am honest about, you know, I I think it's great that these people find me attractive but you know i i also show my cellulite and like all of the shit that most women have too so have you you had have you heard from any like fetish people like cellulite people who are like those are the hottest pictures of them all (laughs) no i i haven't gotten that feedback no but i mean if people are into cellulite like you know i've definitely got some on my ass i mean i don't know anybody who doesn't personally i don't have any just so you know really i think you're probably part of the one percent of the population that doesn't well i walk i walk i walk miles a day i wait tables in a very busy deli and it keeps my ass incredibly lean and toned. That's but, inc- yeah, yeah, that's amazing. But there's not I much. There's it. not much to my ass. Do you want to play? <laughs> do you want to play the great dopey game show, the stash word? Okay. Okay. The stash word basically is: I time you for a minute, I ask you questions, and you try to answer them, and we see how many you get right. Okay. Okay, like yes or no, or like no, yes there'll no. be answers. It, it just okay. whatever. This is very cobbled we're together. We're very, gonna go for it. All right, sure. here we go. So there's I love a, that we're doing this like at seven thirty at night when I'm on three hours of sleep. So just bear with me, dude. It's ten twenty where I am. I don't know where you are. It's ten twenty at night here. I was up at six in the morning with a crying baby. You ready? Yeah. All right, I'm ready. Name four synonyms for burglary. Four other words like burglary. Theft. Yes. Four other fucking words. All right, give me three. I don't even carjacking. I don't know. Okay, I next question. What does <laughs> what does doula mean in Greek? It's a birth support person. No, it isn't. You're wrong. Number number three. <laughs> in doula training. See, I don't think you really are a doula. We didn't ask the doula questions. In doula training, my husband is witch hand, and witch hand is the doula. Do you know about this stuff? In witch hand? This is the best, this is the best stash word I've ever done. Hold on. Here we go. Um, name. Are we supposed to hold a certain hand as a doula? No, it's a metaphor. But we're only going to run out of time. We got to keep going. Okay, we'll get back. Going. We'll go back to this. Um, name three street. Oh, actually, the question was to name five. But just give me three street names for heroin. Um, tar. Sure. Uh, uh, 
I don't know. Jesus, H- Alexis, what's wrong with you? R H. Um, I don't know. I just called it H. I don't even know. Jesus <laughs> oh Christ. God. Okay. Um, do you know what a Mex what me- a Mexican slang word for heroin? Mexican slang river. I should know this because my boyfriend was Mexican. Kevin was Mexicano and you don't even know? I don't even know. Have you ever smoked heroin with Corey Feldman? No. All right, we're done. You did terrible. <laughs> you did terrible. But you got, I think you got the Corey Feldman one right. And uh, I think that was it. I think you just got the Corey okay, Feldman one right. Can you tell me what the doula thing is? Because I think that's so okay. insane. Well, I, I've been doing a lot of research you know, to prepare. Now, yes. doula in Greek means a woman servant. Yeah. Oh, yes. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Whatever. Who cares? This is very stupid stuff. In doula training, if if you Google doula, okay, uh, it <laughs> okay. says on on Google that the, the <laughs> husband is the the pregnant woman's left hand, and the doula is the right hand. Wow. I mean, we don't we don't really focus on who's holding whose hand. I don't think it's like whose hand. I think it's like metaphorical. Like you're the right hand person of the of the pregnant person. No. Okay. Well, I mean, my goal in in when I have births where there's a partner present is to involve the partner as much as possible. So that way, when the baby's born and everything is over. The pregnant woman doesn't think, Oh my God, my doula was so amazing. She like saved the day. It was so great. But instead they think, Oh, my husband or my partner was in front of me and he was rubbing my head. And so I really, I really try to like help dads and partners do most of, do most of my heavy lifting. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, but that's, that's nice. Cause that means the the doula is meant to like create an experience for the couple because the doula is not going to be around. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Well, if you're a good doula and you don't have a big ego, that, that is, that is the goal. So when did you become a doula? I became a doula in 20, uh, the end of 2014. So, um, I had a really traumatic birth with my first baby and I didn't like the way I was treated in the hospital. I was having a home birth and I had to transfer to the hospital for a C-section and I wasn't happy with, with the outcome. And I felt like it really contributed to my postpartum depression, anxiety. And so I ended up attending a birth of a friend. Um, and I was like, wow, I kind of have like a neck for this. Like, I don't know what this is called, but like, I think I want to do this. Maybe I want to become a midwife, but I definitely don't want to be a midwife. Doulas and midwives are totally different. So, um, I called my midwife and I was like, what is this? Like, is this something? And she goes, well, you can become a midwife assistant or you can go to school to become a doula. So I went to school to become a doula and, um, it's just been like the most amazing, I don't want to say the most amazing work of my life, but it's something that I'm really passionate about. I, I believe, you know, if you want to change the world, it starts with moms. I believe that our birth experiences are important. I believe that, like I said, we have the highest maternal mortality rate of any westernized country. Um, doulas help to bring down that number because we reduce the chance of, of inductions and C-sections and unnecessary medical intervention. 
Um, so it's just something I'm really passionate about that I, that I love doing. And, um, I've had the honor of helping so many mamas now. I like can't even count and I have great relationships with the vast majority of them. And, just been cool. I think that's awesome. I think that I was, I've always been intimidated just by the word doula, that it seemed like pretentious or like something that I could never, uh, but it's you know, cause I'm like afraid. I went to an AA meeting this morning and it was all about judgment. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like the Mm -hmm. idea of judging somebody in recovery, like being in recovery and judging, you know? And I, and I realized like I am judgy, because, like, I think I'm scared that I'm not doing the right thing. Like, so I judge somebody else for doing something that I won't do, you know, uh, which pretty much, like, molded my whole persona, this sort of fear, which is interesting, um, I think. What do you think about judging people in recovery or whatever? you think this is not a worthy conversation? Well, I think that um – I think often people are mirrors for parts of us that we are afraid to address or look at. And so then when we are using judgment, it's kind of, it's one of those spiritual bypass tools, you know, like we're judging others. So that way we don't have to actually look at our shit. Right. And, and while I definitely form opinions about people, (laughs) I'm not going to lie. I'm not perfect. Um, I, I can see the parallels. Like I've done enough self-reflection work to, to know that like when I'm judging somebody about X, Y, or Z, there's probably something going on in me that's, you know, on the similar, you know, playing field. Or like you said, like there's things that just intimidate you. And then it's, and it comes down to me questioning like my value and my self-worth. The worst thing is how much pleasure I can get from judging or like making fun of somebody or something to somebody else. Like that's like it's like a it's like a, a guilty pleasure, you know, that's like and it's not it's not a harmless guilty pleasure. So it's interesting yeah. to me. It's not. I mean, like I definitely can get caught up in like shit talking storms. Like I yes, many many times. And as much as I'd like to say that I could that I can and always rise above that. I don't. Um, the thing about me though, is like whatever shit I say or would say behind your back. And this only happens really to like my husband or like my very best friend. I don't talk shit to like many people. I vent to very few. Um, but, uh, when I do do it, anything that I say, I will most likely be saying to your face, like, I'm, I don't, you know, I'm not going to take your inventory, but like, if it's, if it's something that's really worth, cause I don't talk shit that much, but if it's something that's really worth shit talking, that's like so blazingly, like just in your face or obnoxious or boundary crossing or whatever, like I will be saying that to you eventually. Right. Right. Well, that's, I mean, that's good. I, I will, I will maybe as a weird like apology, like I was talking shit. I had to tell you that I was talking (laughs) shit about you and then revealing what it was like rather than just confronting somebody. But um, but I think it's also amazing the doula thing. Like I can't imagine like uh, like a dopey version of doula, 
like the craziest doula stories. I bet you there's a billion yeah. of them, right? There's a lot. Yeah, there's a lot. I mean, birth is just, it's a toss up. You never know. You can go into a birth and you're like, all right, great. Mom's like five centimeters, I'm guessing. And this is moving and blah, blah, blah. And then the next thing you know, like some, you know, she's bleeding out or placenta's detached or she needs a C-section or whatever. I mean, I've seen so many variations of normal. I'm lucky that I've never witnessed a stillbirth. That's something that I feel like, I don't know if I'd be able to continue working. And as the doula, you're the medical go-to in all these situations? No, 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 no. So we don't provide medical tasks. We just provide emotional, physical, and, um, you know, met, like support. So like, there's somebody so, there that's going to deal with the dilation or the placenta being. So, yeah. Okay. So, um, but I'm going to be there to, I hate the word coach, but to help mom process what's going on in that moment. Okay. And that's really, really important work and really challenging work. Well, I think that's amazing. And, uh, you know, if you ever want to talk shit about anybody, you could always call me. I'm always, I'm always a, a helpful ear and shit talking. And, uh, and then the next episode, you're going to be like, so Alexis called me this week. Dude, that would be great. If you want to do a, like, a, a shit talking segment on Dopey, that would really be something. So think yeah. about that. I I will, but I think I'm going to pass just because I feel like my spiritual. Yeah, it'll come back on you. It won't, it won't be. Yeah. It won't be good for you. It won't be good for anything. No. I understand. No. But um, I'm so happy you came <laughs> back on, and I'm so happy uh, you had me on yours. And obviously, like you know, Evan has been incredibly helpful with us. He's going to come on eventually. Where did you meet Evan? Uh, we met in AA. Just at a meeting. Yep. Met at a meeting. Uh, How much clean you know. time did you have when he when you met him? So when I met him, I had like zero clean time, and um, he thought I was really scary because I was. And uh, then, like I said, I kind of hit like a really big emotional bottom in recovery, and I went to that meeting where he always was, and I kind of always idolized. Like, wow, he is so he is everything I want to be. You know, he had like five years at that point, so he's talking the talk. And I am just sitting there like, I'll never have that. Like, that's, like, not obtainable. And then um, I went to that meeting and I just was like, hey, I really need, like, a good female sponsor. And he actually gave me um, some numbers for some women in the program. And I dove in and did the work. And I disappeared for about four or five months. And when I came back, I was, like, a totally different person. As you know, as we are, when we're, like, really working a program and doing good shit with our lives i was ready to um, hear an amazing like the the first good 13th step story like the nah, the best is. the best i mean it is i was less than a year sober eight months later we were married we had kids now we're married seven years it's been amazing i mean uh, i mean so I you your proof that the 13th step is a, a viable step Huh? It's possible. 13-stepping totally could result in a beautiful family and a thriving business. It could. It could. Yeah. Or it could go really badly. I, or I, it I, could go really bad. Yes. And that's 
totally, you know, more likely a possibility more, more than, more than likely, uh, a more likely probably. scenario. Yes. <laughs> but yeah. So I, and I think it'd be amazing for him to come on and you're such a great interviewer. I wish, I wish I could have figured out like the, the thing is because you're anonymous, it's hard. I was like, how, what am I going to talk? I mean, I can talk about dopey, but like, I really don't really know much about you because you could ask you know. me anything. I'd say anything. Well, I know, but like, I don't know. It was, I, I, listen, I'm just starting to like get my flow now that we're like into episode 12. I, I don't want to knock my, my first 12 episodes. Cause I think that they've eventually been pretty fucking great. But, um, my know, first 12 episodes like, sucked. We, <laughs> we had to take a lot of them down. It was a mess. Our first 12 episodes was a train wreck, but that's why people liked them. Um, yeah. Uh, if you ever want me on, you want, you want to give me a, the once over and, you know, grill me, I'm, I'm more than happy to do it. Okay. Well, I mean, I thought our episode was pretty great. I'm just saying like, per, I didn't ask you like a lot of personal questions because no, you're, you're a mystery. Well, I'm very, I mean, like I would be perfectly <laughs> honored to be open on your show. Just, I won't mention my last name, but I'd mention anything else. Yeah. Okay. But um, but be well and thank you for coming on and uh, I think that's awesome. You did terrible at stash word though. But besides that, it was awesome. Yeah, you know, I, dude, I, you don't know the word I, junk or dope. Okay, yeah, well, I you know what? First of all, sir, it's been quite a while since I've used heroin. Second of all, you know, sir. I'm working on like three, sir, I'm working <laughs> on like three hours of sleep that were like broken. I've been with my kids all day. I'm so exhausted. Like I'm not good at like trivia. Well, there was, not, I, that is not my strong suit. I think I think th- this might mean that you're actually recovered. That you don't remember the word dope or junk. I think well, that's. Well, dope should have <laughs> come right to it. I mean, we called it in Al- in California. In LA, we either called it tar, yeah. black, or H. That well, was it. See, that would have been all acceptable answers for that question. I said those. You said tar. Now and and and, and tar and I said H. You never heard I, chiva as a Mexican heroin word? Chiva no. or I would well, have accepted sure carga. Yeah. Okay. All right. All well, right. You did good. Listen, you, you shouldn't be ashamed. No, you did fine. I didn't. Let your I freak flag fly, Alexis. It's fine. <laughs> okay. Oh, for fuck's sake! All right. Thank well, you for coming on. Thanks for having me. Honestly, this was like a highlight of my day. Right on. Cool. Send my love to everybody. Okay. All right. Bye. Bye. Thank you. All right. So that was the super raw and dopey Alexis Haynes. And um, something cool and interesting happened. Uh, I was just kind of minding my own business. And I heard from my buddy, Neil, of Don't Die Sacramento. And Neil let me know that uh, he was doing an intake with this, uh, with this woman who is a chronic relapser, terrible addict. And when she sat down in the office, she saw that Neil had a dopey sticker and it like made her feel super comforted, and um, and that really touched me. You know, the idea of dopey being some sort of bat signal for the afflicted is a very beautiful thing to me. Even though I hear from so many of you guys, I still feel very insulated from it. 
you know, like it's still very, very like me and Chris used to just do the show and people started to listen to it. So when I hear from a clinician who has a patient walk in and be so affected by our show, it just, it means a lot to me. So I sent her a bunch of stuff, sent her a hat and some stickers. It's very beautiful uh, to me. And then it turns out on Reddit, her boyfriend is one of our chief Reddit people. And I'm going to read you the email uh, he sent me. He's called Souls of Dead Animals on Reddit, and he's always up, so it was cool that it was connected. Uh, He says, I met my girlfriend at rehab in September. She has relapsed three times since then. Each time she drinks and immediately goes into seizures and then to the hospital for at least a week. She was intubated the first time, and this last time she has been in and out of the hospital and rehab for a month and a half. Dopey was a huge help in keeping me sober and sane during all of this. I would be the one who finds her and calls the ambulance and sits in the hospital with her the whole time uh, she was there. I actually listened to the This American Life piece while sitting in a chair next to her bed while she was on the breathing machine and sleeping. She was talking to a counselor at her rehab in Sacramento about Dopey, that's Neil, and about how obsessed I am with the podcast, and he arranged to get her a care package sent to the rehab by you. She just sent me a pic of her wearing a black hat with the nodding off guy on it and is so excited. I can't thank you enough for sending out the stuff. I turned her on to you guys back in rehab And we've been listening every week together I've been listening since I think you guys had under 10 episodes Over two years before I got sober And I can't thank you enough for continuing to do the podcast You have been a huge part of my sobriety And such an inspiration creatively I currently have almost 8 months sober And I'm so grateful that I've gotten clean Thank you um, I have some good dopey stories and we'll send in a voicemail. I made a cover of Good So Bad about a month before rehab when I was on a lot of different drugs and really drunk. If you ever want to include it in a podcast, it would mean a lot to me. I will probably do another now that I'm sober and can do a better job and write an original song for you. Thank you so much for everything you're doing. You are an influential and important member in the recovery community and a big part of my sobriety. Thank you, Souls of Dead Animals. He... um. He's posted a picture of him and his girlfriend with some dopey shit, so I'm going to post that. Uh, yeah, send in any music, anything, whenever you can. And we're totally rooting for uh, your girlfriend. Um, you know, the whole point of dopey was, was to, like, talk drugs and the dumb shit that we did in addiction and recovery because uh, things can get better. You know, that's really the point. Um so we hope your girlfriend gets better. We hope you stay good. I hope that. I hope everybody that listens that wants to be happy and clean can be happy and clean. Uh, I'm happy and clean, and uh, it's miraculous because I never thought that I would be. You know, I was a, a terrible drug addict, if you didn't know, you know, for, for many, many, many years. I still have scars on my hands and my arms um, from where I used to shoot dope, and I'm sure lots of you guys do. And I look at them, and I can't even believe that it's the same life. And, uh, you know, I also just want to say thank you guys for listening, and thank you guys for being a part of the show. It means uh, a ton to me. I'm going to read this email. Part of me thinks I read it before, but um, I'm going to read it anyway. It says, Dear Dave and all the Dopey Nation, Hi, how are you? I'm a listener from Australia, and I'm new to the show thanks to the piece they did on you guys on This American Life. I'm an alcoholic addict and 81 days sober today. Feels good. Shit is hard, though. I left you a nice review on Apple because apparently that helps. I don't really have much to say other than how much I appreciate the show and the honesty and generosity of all who share their stories, yourself included. I'm a single mom 
or mum with a five-year-old and a one-year-old. And although I haven't listened to all of your episodes, I'd like to listen to a woman and her experience uh, with uh, staying sober whilst pregnant and into motherhood. That's been the hardest. Realizing that wanting to get high or drink was actually more important than looking after my kid. I'm white, educated, PhD level, and have a support network. I live in a wealthy resource company. I can't blame anything. I, I claim inequality or racism uh, or any other social cultural stigma for my addiction. She can't claim that, I think. I am apparently bipolar and have obsessive compulsive disorder, but still that shit gets you. I finally entered the rooms of AA last November and found my people and my place there. I live in country NSW, uh, which will mean shit to you, but the addicts and alcoholics out here are the funniest and most loving people I know. AA has saved my life and my kids and me are the happiest and most balanced we've been ever, especially my five-year-old who is now, who is only just now starting to exhibit the consequences my using uh, had for her. Luckily, she goes to this amazing school and has a teacher who gets it, and now she is thriving. There's always hope, and there's always a new way. So love to you. Take it easy and stay strong. I have unashamedly attached two images I have done in my sobriety of my beautiful children. Enjoy. Best, Camilla. Uh, Thank you, Camilla. I didn't see the pictures, but um, I appreciate the email. You know, I didn't have the the capacity to be pregnant or give birth to children, but when my first daughter was born— I was out scoring Xanax from a weird dealer named Phoenix, you know, and telling uh, my wife that I needed to go clean the apartment when in actuality I just ran home to get high and play video games with Todd. Linda was pregnant in the hospital. Uh, I had a pocket full of Xanax. I think Todd went and scored dope. And, uh, and it was a February night in 2010 that we went back to my apartment to do drugs and I clean the apartment, too, on drugs because I loved cleaning while high, whilst high. I don't know about you guys. Do you guys like cleaning whilst high? That was, like, my favorite thing. Like, that's how you know you don't have much of a habit, I think, is when you can do dope and be so energized to clean everything. But uh, obviously that changes. Last week, uh, I was fortunate enough to have my, my old friend Peter come on the show I heard, I heard so many um, incredibly positive things about it, and Peter got pretty raw about his depression, um, and he's funny. You know, Peter's a funny guy. Uh, he did an impression of me, which a lot of you guys seem to really like, and, uh, and one of you sent in uh, an impression of the impression, and she actually was getting high whilst pregnant. It's our, I think, one woman of color listener, Adira. So here's Adira. Thank you for this very good impression of my friend's idiotic impression of me. Dave, I hate you. You think I'm kidding, but I'm not kidding. I hate you. I hate Todd, but I hate you more. <laughs> I live for Peter's impression of you. FYI. Bye. Thank you, Adira. I'm sure Peter will be on the show again. To say I hate you, you think I'm kidding, but you're not, or but I'm not kidding. You're a jerk, fucking stupid. Um, in the spirit of trying new things, uh, we're gonna introduce a new segment to Dopey. Actually, it's a new, new, new segment. Uh, I recently uh, met this guy, Nick Flynn. He's a really an amazing author and a poet. 
and he wants to do Dopey Poetry Corner. Nick Flynn wrote this book called Another Bullshit Night in Suck City. I'm in the middle of it. It's a fucking amazing book. Uh, And he's sending me these poems to put on the show. Uh, So I'm going to do it. If any of you guys want to send in a poem, send in a poem. More importantly, if you guys want to send in a fucking dopey story that's like around five minutes long and funny, send me a dopey story that's five minutes long and funny. That would be terrific. If you didn't know, you send all dopey voicemails. You record them on your phone with the voicemail thing. You record them five to seven minutes. A little bit less is fine. A little bit more if it's fucking crazy fire dopey, great. Send it to dopeypodcast at gmail.com. One thing I never ask you guys to do is subscribe, but maybe that would do something. Maybe you should subscribe. Maybe I'm asking for too much. Here's the Dopey Poetry Corner with our friend Nick Flynn. Hey, Dave. Hi, Dopey. This is Nick Flynn. Here's another poem for you. It's called Balcony. The radio claims the secret is simple. It's to always want to know what comes next and to let that want pull you back from the ledge again and again. I have a friend who, the years he was drinking, would, every night, stack all the furniture in his living room in front of his sliding glass door, which led out to his fifth-floor balcony. He knew that once he'd had his first drink, not right away, but eventually, soon, he'd black out, and he worried he'd try to fly again. Couch, table, chair, bookcase. For years he dragged his furniture, every night as the sun went away, and in the morning he put it all back in place, never considering, not once, that maybe he should stop. The one promise I can make is that I'm staying, even though what knocks on our door at night has at its heart only my getting lost, even though some part of it wants me dead, which is why I feed it with a stick. You've already met it, but it didn't show you all its teeth. It knew it had to lull you in. It knew you were skittery. It let you feed it by hand. It let you put a finger in its mouth, into its good, good mouth. It didn't bite down. Not hard. Not then. Not yet. All right, Dopey. Be well. So thanks, Nick Flynn, with the uh, giving some classing up Dopey a little bit with Balcony. Send in a poem if you want, or a voicemail, or an email. Write a review on iTunes. Do whatever you want. Uh, We're going to end this show with my friend John uh, talking about Ellis, uh, who died, like I said at the beginning. Um, But before we do, I want to say a couple things. First of all, thank you uh, to everybody who gave uh, to the Dopey Patreon. It's patreon.com slash dopey. I'm going to start posting some stuff there. I'm going to post some music and some some shit. I could just post it there. It'll be free to check out there. If you want to give money to Patreon, just give money to Patreon. Do what you want. If you don't, I understand. Um, I also want to thank uh, Dopey Twitter crowd. I don't think I thank you guys enough. All the people on Dopey Twitter, Caitlin and Steph and Rox and Kevin and Mike, fucking Raptors are killing it, Mike. Can you believe it? I also want to thank all the people who do the Facebook group, fucking Andrew and Paulina and Catherine. It turns out Leah Lemberg is now on that squad, so thank you to her. Thank you to Cormac. Thank you to Sam and Brad. And uh, I never thanked this guy, uh, amazing dopey artist, Fowl and Peralta. He's just done so much work 
selflessly, constantly. If I have a, an ask, he comes through. So thank you uh, so much, Fowl. Uh, I'm sure you have a real name. I don't know if you want me to use it or not, so I'm going to call you Fowl, which is funny. Um, and here's uh, my buddy John. Here's John. Hey, what's up, Dopey Nation? What's up, Dopey Nation? Now, if you're a real, true, dopey fan, this voice of John should not be weird to you. John right. was originally on the show doing the acrimonious sound effects. Uh, it was a glorious day, but Chris couldn't handle the sound effects, which is classic. And, uh, and then John submitted some tunes. He submitted the hypnotically catchy methadone and the incredibly politically incorrect classic titty meat. <laughs> I can't. I'm amazed that you played that. That's really horrible. Chris loved titty meat. And, and, and I know. And, and I don't think any fans really had an opinion it, about it. If you want to find titty meat, I don't know. It's probably in the no, dope. Yeah, you have to really. Well, I tried to bury it, but I don't know. Maybe it will have some life through your show or something. But no, I mean, I, I just, you know, I, I thought people wouldn't understand like what a joke it was. So I just, <clears throat> my friend was like, you should put it up somewhere. And I'm saying like, no, I just, just goes nowhere. So you you're know? saying you feel, you feel like uh, shame about your classic dance hit. Not really. I just think I like, I appreciate how stupid it is, but I thought other people would, would be like, this guy's an, is, an asshole, you know. So I just said, all right, I don't like it enough that I need to put it out there, really. Yeah, well, I think it was funny. Chris loved it, and then more importantly, John and I have been friends for, uh, you know, twenty five years, right? Twenty four years, right. something like that. That's right, a long time. Right. And John uh, is a great drummer and musician, and John has played music with me since then. Yeah, since college. Yeah. Amazing. When you were when you were a rapping maniac. Yeah, when I was I was the freestyle. Was a, do people know about that? Not really. Uh, you should put on some. Uh, maybe I'll find some of the uh, classic uh, Dave freestyle stuff from the archive and send that to you to put on. I'll have to say that you were out of anyone in the universe. You were the only person who thought I was good at rapping. That's not true. That's not true at all. Wow. Yeah, I think it is. I think it is true. <laughs> no. <laughs> I no, you were good. You just were like uh, unpolished, or you know, you know, you had a lot of, uh, you had a great ability to 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 wrap off the top of your head and come up with compelling stuff. It's amazing. And you would say yeah. I was a diamond in the rough that was never polished. I, I yeah, I, yeah. I, I had some sort you had, of. You had a lot of lyrics, man. You had a lot of entertaining shtick that you were doing. Well. And, uh, I think that what happened to me and creative passing legislative making great remember all that come on that was good stuff I don't remember I don't remember at all I remember nothing um but I do remember that we were in a band what about uh what about cotton velvet velour lace am I going too fast or am I setting the pace I don't remember that at all really I just remember I just remember the playa is covered with sand Something. I don't remember that one. I remember that one because anyway, I wrote it down. go ahead, go ahead. Now you you had a career as a uh, freestyle rapper for ten minutes in nineteen ninety five or something. Yeah, it was a good year. Um, but yeah. we're not talking about me, and we're not talking about you. Uh, I wanted to have you on because your friend uh, Ellis, who I met, you know, a handful of times, and I had crazy respect for, uh, just died. That yes, he died a couple weeks ago. Yep. And uh, and I met Ellis. Uh, in probably 1995 or six, 
or no, maybe 97, maybe 98 or nine. Maybe it was like, around 98. Yeah, 99. it was a little later. It was a little, it was a little closer to 2000. It was more like 98, 99. And I was producing my little music TV show and I was doing a segment called how do I get signed? And Ellis was the lead singer, guitar player, songwriter in a band with John. And he was a dynamo. He was also he was, he was, a straight edge. And I was on heroin, which I just thought was fascinating. Yeah, that was the thing about him. I mean, you know, just quickly, uh, he his backstory there was uh, he had come out of a coma at 17 after getting hit by a car on the highway, like on Percocet, doing graffiti. And when he came out of the coma, he went straight edge for like, I must have been eight to ten years or something like that. But he was also way more unhinged than anyone I knew. Any, anyone, you know, any of us knew. He, was, he just had a, a manic, you know, <clears throat> thing going and... You know, you couldn't take him anywhere where there were adults and, like, responsible stuff needed to happen. It was just a very out-of-control person. And, uh, yeah, so, you know, once he kind of, in his 30s, once he slipped back into uh, uh, his tweaker, smack, whatever recipe he was doing, it just uh, was just, you know, tragic. Do you remember, like, the transition he went into from straight edge to relapse? Yeah, like around 30, because, you know, it's like Mike was telling me, and I just started to, he started smoking cigarettes again. It was like he was smoking cigarettes, because he was very, like, uh, you know, adamant. I don't think he had the X's on his hands or anything, but he was pretty about it. And then he started smoking cigarettes, and uh, I guess, you know, I think it was also like he got into Adderall, and I think, uh, because he was in college for a couple of things, and I'm sure that's what kind of, got him back into it was like the pills and stuff the thing about ellis was uh he was i mean like i i i really had a ton of respect for him because like he he could just do everything he could play music he could write music he had a really big personality he was a visionary he like he was a great artist yeah he ended up being a like a fairly successful tattoo artist after you know his last five years of his life or something and he, and he wound up having two kids and that's the, yeah. one of the great tragedies is that you know he, he could not he could not become an adult um no. which is a shame no. for them and a shame for him you know what i mean and anybody out there it's like this this story to me it's like ellis is like anybody but he was really fucking talented but he it's like i don't think he thought he was gonna die either and like you know, there's a ton of people who listen to the show that are using, and it's like yeah. it just seems to me like death is around every corner if you're using heroin at this point, and and it's taken all these deaths to show me that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, I was talking to a friend at his the funeral who's like an EMT, and you know, he was saying that he thinks it's fentanyl, and the way that it, it, it you know, the, the circumstances of his death were just horrible. You know, it was like. He was at some random apartment building with, you know, and he like, it was, he just like his, had a heart attack, like in the entranceway of this building and just horrible. What else do you, do you know anything else about it? Uh, well, he, he crashed his car like two days before he died, but he walked away from that. And, uh, I don't know what exactly the circumstances were about that, but then he was sending friends like pictures of bags and stuff and he was uh out in the bronx and he would just be like out in, out in hunts point all these places like 
just, you know, he was just. Uh, he was living a, the. He was living a dirty life. You know, he was he was using. He was just a using drug addict, basically. Um, do you remember? Like, can you tell? Like, because John is going to come back on either next week or the week after or whatever with with this guy Mike, who has been Alice's friend forever, and they were in bands together. <laughs> and Mike is a terrible drug addict too. <clears throat> do you remember? Can you can you give us any kind of crazy Ellis story before? Because uh, Ellis and John did a lot of music, and Ellis was a like a punk rock hardcore uh, musician, and then he decided he wanted to do rap. And John would would do uh, rap production, and I'm going to play this song that Ellis and John and was Mike on that song too? Yeah, Mike uh, Mike produced Ellis's vocals on it, and, and Mike actually did some. Uh, good production stuff on that like it's pretty impressive actually what he did um but yeah he, he just would do these rap songs in between being in bands and stuff and usually he would do it with mike and uh sometimes i would send him stuff and or he would just find stuff on the internet and you know <clears throat> but yeah um this song is uh it's all him and mike mike doing some like uh interesting interesting stuff with like the pitch shifting you know on the chorus um but uh i found it I guess like about three or four days ago out of nowhere. I just, I'd never heard it before. And it's a very dark song. And it was like a lot of his rap songs, they were just kind of half finished because he's running all over the place. And, but this one was like a real production. I thought, well, the thing about the, the thing about this song and the thing about Ellis is like, you know, Ellis annoyed the shit out of me. I remember one time, uh, everyone annoyed everyone. When I got home from California, uh, I broke up with my girlfriend, and I was staying at my parents' house, and uh, I hadn't seen anybody yet. And John came over with Ellis, and then um, and we were hanging out, and Ellis just fucking drove me crazy. Like he wanted to get into a freestyle battle, and it was just like it was just like incredibly annoying. And then Todd uh, wound up buzzing in, and when um, Todd and I, and I kicked them out, and they thought I was going to get high with Todd, uh, which wasn't the it was, case. It was odd. I mean, I know Alice, you know, he, he was too much. You could, you could deal with him for like half an hour. Yeah. And I'd be like, I need a rest. But from, from our perspective, it was like, why the fuck is Dave kicking us out so we can hang out with Todd? It was like, it was like you guys have to go so I can hang out with Todd. It was like, what other, what other explanation is there? I guess Alice was straight edge at that time. That was like a little before. Right. But we just thought you guys were going to get high. So we we're like, you know. He was like, fuck Dave, you know, whatever. Well, that's, you know. that's an interesting thing, though, to me, is like when I was using, he was straight edge. And, uh, and then at that transition, when I started getting clean, he started using. And um, I always thought Ellis would just be the perfect dopey guest because he, he was just so out there. And he, yeah. he did so much crazy stuff. And yeah. he was such a good talker. And this song, yeah. it's called The Grime Life. Yeah. It, it's that like was his philosophy. The grime life. It, it's like yeah. the most perfect, dopey song. You know, it's like it's the most dopiest. It's just funny, and I love the way he says "grimy." You know, yeah, it's very dopey. What, what were you going to say about it? Uh, that no, I mean, uh, what was I going to say? Um, yeah, nothing other than uh, it, it really sums up his whole story. I mean. You know, like he has a lot of songs that were not produced very well or just didn't come out well, and some that did. But this one, and we just, you know, I just kind of found it really, you know, it was like, uh, I'm glad I found it because it was just, 
summed him up in what he was dealing with, and and it's very entertaining and it's very dark. Like, uh, well, I guess what I was going to say was like when he's talking about um, when he says uh, uh, Ronson, he's calling himself his rat names were Charles Ronson, uh, Big Sleaze, and the other one was uh, His Holiness Felonius, H H Felonius, and but he calls himself doing, Big Daddy. He calls himself Big Daddy too. Um, but uh, I think he was doing this one under Charles Ronson. And so it says Ronson as the poison, shouting as the remedy. And that's what's so dark because because because, uh, because he had know, overdosed friend, and, and shouted. His friend, his, his friend, yeah, his friend had like revived him like on numerous occasions. He was telling me like how freaky he was. He was like turning blue and then <clears throat> the ambulance was there. I'm not sure what if he get, you know, if he was doing CPR or what he did, but like you know, El, you know, Ellis was basically dead at this guy's house, like on. I think he Narcaned him. I think he Narcaned Ellis. He might have been. Yeah, I don't remember what it was. But, but you know, it's like Ellis would take that later, and then the way he turned it into this song is like, it's just dark, you know? And uh, <clears throat> it's funny, it's dark, it's compelling. It's like he put it together on that. And, uh, yeah, it's a good song, man. Well, we're going to play it. And uh, more than anything, you know, uh, Ellis was a, a Dopey Nation guy. And uh, he's another cautionary tale. He's another death in the family. And, uh, you know, I just wanted to tell his story a little bit. Mike and, and John are going to come back. and uh, But that's the end of the episode. I'm going to play this uh, The Grime Life now, if you guys want to yeah. listen to it. Check it out. And uh, and stay strong, Dopey Nation, and, and toodles for Chris, and fucking Todd, and Ellis, and all everybody who's died. Yeah, you know? stay strong, Dopey Nation. All right, thanks. Thanks, John. Dave. Than a screenplay, spit them bars, think out loud, can't see no light through the clouds. Can't see myself in 20 years. Speak of the devil, I appear. Only difference I can rap, don't grow up, it's a trap. So now that you got a plan, sit down and drink them tall cans. Or until you've had your fill, if it's your thing, pop another pill. Sometimes you've got to chill, and knock you out like Sarah Quill. Stop the earth, make cops stand still, and you feel fatter than Uncle Phil. But this ain't the Fresh Prince of Bel Air. Said it before, life ain't fair. Strapped you down to the electric chair. Flip the switch, blow out your hair. Ronson got the poison, Shaman got the remedy. Beep a lip, he puts the cheek in grimy. In the grime life, grime life. Ronson got the poison, Shaman got the remedy. Beep a lip, he puts the cheek in grimy. In the grime life, grime life. Quit. Started combing the carpet for them cables and bits. You wanna smoke the whole slab up to the face? Beam up the Scotty and get higher the space. Now some are misled by the glamour and glitz. Dreams of the paparazzi telling their whip. As a young buck, I didn't give a motherfucking shit. Was dodging dad's belt buckle, trying not to get hit, but I wouldn't submit. 
Held up like crucifixion Cause the only cross I bore was the cross of addiction I got a hot hand that's filled with contraband Make the wrong move, son You'll say faster than quicksand New York is the wasteland No time to slip Live more evil stories than tales from the crypt Come a long way since my BMX bike to do a 90 in the hoopty rolling down the turnpike Riding so dirty, a big daddy needs a shower And this animal's got my brain moving a thousand miles an hour Devouring prescriptions to stop the conniptions Speed to turn you into a mathematician Certified tweaker running faster than the reaper I walk the line like Johnny Cash and New Balance sneakers In the 90s we used beavers Business was stable, surging like a power Cable cutting lines on the table. Rods and got the poison. Shouting out the remedy. If me believes, he puts the G in grimy. In the grime line. Grime line. Rods and got the poison. Shouting out the remedy. If me believes, he puts the G in grimy. In the grime line. Grime line. I want to take a walk around the world I wonder would it do me any good Until I get some money in my pocket Then I guess I'll just have to walk around my neighborhood But I want to be good so bad want to be so good, so bad, so bad I want to be good so bad Bad desires all I ever had And I want to take a ride up in the sky Watch this aeroplane just pass me by And I want to see a Lear jetliner take a dive Just to show all of these people what it means to be alive But I want to be good so bad Want to be so good, so bad, so bad I want to be good so bad Bad desire's all I ever had And my shadow's getting smaller and smaller And it's time to where I stand Shadow's getting smaller and smaller And it's time to where I stand And I wonder would they pay it any mind Busted city far behind I'll take the high road However far it winds Because peace and love are very, very, very hard to find And I wanna be good so bad Wanna be good so bad, so bad I wanna be good so bad Bad desire's all I ever had Damn it, all these suckers make me mad And it's all I ever had And it's all I ever had And these suckers make me mad And I want to call my dad And it's all I ever had 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 And these suckers make me mad And it's all I ever had And I want to call my dad And it's all I ever had